This is a free download from Delancey Eden Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elam Church building at the Banks, St Simpsons, in the Challenge Islands of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. Lord, today, wherever we are in this building, we pray, God, that you might speak to us and encourage us and inspire us. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're going to continue today looking at the book of James. So if you've got your Bibles um, with you, you can turn to James chapter 2. We're going to look at James chapter 2 today. Uh, In a moment, I will share that with you. They sit there, peering up at us, smugly, knowing that they're going to be the chosen ones. They sit there, they're smug, they are full of confidence. They don't have to do anything. Their very look, their very taste just draws us to them without persuasion. You might have guessed what I'm referring to. The purple one. The green triangle. The toffee penny. The caramel swirl. Yes, you've guessed it. The chocolate toffee finger. It is, of course, the quality street tin of chocolates. Yes? And these proud chocolates, they don't need to fear anything. They don't need to fear that they're going to be left at the very bottom of the tin. Because they're everybody's favourites, aren't they? And they take great, uh, great seat, great pride alongside the likes of the Galaxy and the Malteser from the Celebration Tub, yeah? They also enjoy the smugness, the proudness of being the favourites, the chosen ones. It happens every Christmas, doesn't it? Well, it does in our household. The favourite chocolates go first. Everybody wants those. Um, And then at the end of the festive season, you'd be left with, you know, a Turkish delight, perhaps, dodgy coconut, a wannabe caramel. Sitting at the bottom, they might be your favourites, I don't know. Sitting at the bottom, and when faced with desperation, you might suddenly be drawn to devour one. You know, when it's that moment when all it is, the Turkish delight's just looking at you. You've got to eat it but you always regret it. We had a rule in our home, growing up, that if, you had a box of, if we had a box of chocolates given to us and it had two layers, you weren't allowed to go to the second layer until the first layer was eaten. Has anyone else got that rule? Yeah. I hated that rule. What a stupid, stupid rule to have. That's torture. So when I moved out and lived on my own, I don't have that rule anymore. (laughs) No. Why bother having a rule like that? Just go for your favourites and enjoy them. Well, apparently, due to the fact that the the coconut and the Turkish delight and the wannabe caramel um, suffer the same fate in many households across the UK, Quality Street and John Lewis teamed up 
to solve our biggest problem. You thought Brexit was the biggest problem. (laughs) But it's not, is it? It is, of course, this problem of our chocolate sweets and our tins. But John Lewis, Oxford Street, is home to an exclusive personalisation station, giving customers the chance to pick and mix their own flavour combinations. Precisely. You're able now to pick and mix your very own tin. So if you've got a penchant for a green triangle, you can have dozens of them. You know, if you don't like the strawberry and the orange creams, that's it. Leave them behind. What a great idea. Amazing. I think a trip to Oxford Street is worth it just for that. Anybody in? We're in. Okay. Let's forget conference. Let's go. We all have our favourites, don't we? We all have our favourites. And having favourites when it comes to chocolates or when it comes to some sort of inanimate object, it really isn't a problem. It really doesn't matter. Because as sorry as I used to feel as a child growing up for the Turkish delight at the bottom, um, I kind of realise now that actually it doesn't have feelings. It's okay. It's it's not lonely down there in the bottom of the tin. But having favourites when it comes to living beings... Living beings with feelings can be quite problematic. I want us to have a little look at a quick video clip. Two adorable little monkeys, okay? And they were part of an experiment, but it's a sound experiment, don't worry. Part of an experiment on fairness and favouritism. Two monkeys in different cages side by side. They have a simple task. They're given a stone by somebody and they have to give the stone back to that person, okay? So once they give the stone back to the person, they get rewarded, okay? And their reward is cucumber, and they're happy with that reward until what happens is one of the monkeys starts getting rewarded with grapes. Now, monkeys prefer grapes to cucumbers. Well, these monkeys do anyway, okay? So they prefer the grapes. And so we're going to see what happens when one of the monkeys who's getting the cucumber realises that his friend next door is getting the grapes. Okay, here we go. Are we all right with this little... ...getting grape and you will see what happens. So she gives a rock to us, that's the task, and we give her a piece of cucumber and she eats it. The other one needs to give a rock to us, and that's what she does. And she gets a grape, and she eats it. The other one sees that. She gives a rock to us now, gets again cucumber. <laughs> she tests the rock now against the wall. She needs to give it to us. And she gets cucumber again. He's only getting the cucumber. We don't like it, do we, when we're treated unfairly. It's not nice when we see someone else being favoured above ourselves. The monkey didn't think so either. And I guess we can be a little bit like that too. No one likes it, and yet we don't like it. We don't like that unfairness. We don't like seeing that favouritism. And yet within our own lives, sometimes that's what we demonstrate to other people. 
So we're going to take a look at James this morning in chapter 2 to see what he's got to say about this idea of favouritism, about this idea of partiality. And of course, what we've learned over the last couple of weeks is that James was speaking to a particular group of Jewish Christians who were being persecuted at the time, they were scattered, they were dispersed, they were going through difficult times of trial, temptation and suffering. And um, so he's continually giving them encouragement, advice, and, and just trying to help and support them. So, let's have a little look at this. If you haven't got your Bibles, I've got it on the screen there. Okay, the sin of partiality, we look at verse 1 to 13. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, well, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honourable name by which you were called? If you really fulfil the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Excellent. So, if we went back to James chapter 1 and just looked at the last verse, chapter 1 verse 27, we would see this. It says um, that James is is telling and, and encouraging people to keep oneself unstained from the world. Okay, to keep oneself unsane from the world. So what James is now doing is he's giving us a concrete example of what that might look like for us to keep ourselves unstained from the world. And so James outlines with an illustration, firstly, um, what not to do. Okay, what not to do in verses 1 to 4. He begins by urging us, okay, not to show partiality as you hold to the faith in Christ, or you could read faith as faithfulness. So as you hold to Christ, as you remain faithful in your faithfulness to Christ in your walk, don't be showing favouritism with anybody. Interestingly, the word partiality or the word favouritism in Greek, for those of you who like your Greek, it derives from two other Greek words, and the words are faith, and to take or receive. So really, literally, it means to take or receive a person according to their faith. I think that's quite interesting. James says to us, don't treat people any differently, okay, because of who they are. Don't treat them differently. Whether that be the way they look, the way that they dress, how much wealth, that person might have or their race 
We can add to that, to religion. Don't judge people differently according to their gender. Don't treat them differently depending on their sexuality, their physical ability. Don't display partiality in your actions or in your thinking towards people. Don't let that determine how we see others or how we treat others. We have a few other words that describe partiality or favouritism. You could use the word bias, prejudice, discrimination. When you start using those words, it gets a little bit stronger, doesn't it? It feels a little bit more awkward. But in a way, we can define favouritism like that. Mark Yule, he's a pastor, he summarised what was happening here in the first four verses. And I like his little summary here of James chapter 2. He gives us four elements that we can be prone to do. He says, first of all, what we can be prone to do is looking at the externals of a person's life. Okay? For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing, so you've got these two people coming in to the church assembly, a rich man and and a poor man, one looking really fine and one looking a little bit shabby. Now, don't look at the person next to you and think, assess them in that way or anything, okay? We look sometimes, we're prone sometimes to look at the... I can see some of you are doing it, look. <laughs> mm-hmm. Bit shabby this morning. We look sometimes at the externals, okay? And I want to say an external is not just the way someone's looking, but actually it's anything that isn't part of that person's character or part of that person's personality. So like I said before, we can make distinctions on all sorts of things. What is it about the person sometimes that we see that makes us feel uncomfortable? What is it that we approve of or that we don't approve of or we don't like? And you may think to yourself, well, I, I, I never think like that about anyone. But I would hazard a guess that maybe we do. Even sometimes without even realising it, I would think that all of us sometimes will look at the external of somebody's life and make a judgement call on that. And we might show favouritism or partiality based on those things. And what we do is we we look at the externals and then we make some sort of assessment and that's what James was warning the people to do, not to do. Don't look them up and down and make some sort of assessment about the situation. But sometimes we can do that, which then will lead to a behaviour. So in this case, he's, he's saying, well, what you do is you say, you sit here, the rich man with the fine clothing, you sit on this lovely seat but you, the poor man with the shabby clothing, you go over here, stand over there, or sit at my feet. So a a distinct behaviour comes out of that assessment, that favouritism, that partiality. And once that happens, that prejudice leading to discrimination, um, what's happened is we've, we've built it on bad motives. James says, have you not then made distinctions amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. The motive for this behaviour wasn't good. When we use externals to make quick judgments, to change future behaviour, all based on bad motives, that's partiality. And partiality in favouritism is dangerous and it can be divisive within the church but out as well. Partiality can lead to a place of pride. It can lead to a place of self-righteousness, a a place of judgment, 
where we're putting ourselves above that person. So James is saying to us, in order to keep oneself unstained from the world, we mustn't be like this. Acting in this way is actually a rejection of the religion that God accepts. Because James is telling us what we shouldn't do. Okay, We shouldn't be like this. And then he goes on in verses 5 to 7 to actually tell us a little bit about what God would do. I love the Message Bible. Don't you? Don't you love to read the Message Bible sometimes just to see a different translation? And the Message Bible puts verse 5 like this. Isn't it clear by now that God operates quite differently? That's great. I love that line. I look at my own life sometimes when I'm doing stuff and I'm thinking, yeah, God wouldn't operate like this. God operates quite differently. And we only have to read through the scriptures to recognise and understand that. Deuteronomy, um, you can go to chapter 10, it shows, uh, it says about the Lord, um, God of gods, who is not partial. He's not partial. Deuteronomy 16 talks about um, God putting in place the officers, etc. of the land um, to uphold justice. And it says, you shall not show partiality. There's a warning there. You shouldn't show favouritism in that way. So Deuteronomy reflects God's order. The Old Testament reflects God's way of operating from the outset. I want to read you a story. And forgive me if you've heard this story before, but I think it's worth hearing again. It's a story about a guy called Tony Campolo, and you might know him well. He's, a, he's an evangelical preacher. He's a very, very well known. And he tells this story about when he checks into a hotel, and he's gone to Hawaii, and he's checked in, and um, he, can't, he can't get to sleep, so he gets up at 3 a.m. in the morning. Okay? He thinks to himself... I'm going to go and look for a place for something to eat. Okay? But everything's closed except for this bit of a dive of a place in a back street. I don't know if any of you have been in that situation before where you're starving and you're like, oh, this is the only place I can go to and food poisoning and all that. But anyway, yeah, we've been there, haven't we, in those situations? Maybe not. Anyway. And he's in this situation and he goes into this little cafe and he sits down at the counter and the guy behind the counter comes over and says, well, what do you want? And, and Tony says, oh, I'll have a donut and a coffee. You can't go wrong with that, can you? And he sits there eating his donut and he's sipping his coffee at 3.30. And in walk this group, about eight or so, eight or nine prostitutes come into the cafe. They've just finished their night's work. And they sit down at the counter alongside Tony. And he hears one of them say this, you know what? Tomorrow is my birthday. I'm going to be 39. To which her friend nastily replies, so what do you want from me? A birthday party? You want me to go and get a cake and sing happy birthday to you? And the woman says, well, oh, come on, why do you have to be so mean? Why do you have to put me down? I'm just saying, it's my birthday. I don't want anything from you. I mean, why, why should I have a birthday party? I've never had a birthday party in my whole life. Why should I have one now? Well, when Tony Campolo heard this, he made a decision. He sat and he waited until the women left and then he asked the guy at the counter, do they come here every night? Yeah, he answered. And the one right next to me, he asked, does she come here every night? Yeah, he said. Uh, That's Agnes. Yeah, she's here every night. She's been coming here for years. Why do you want to know? Because she said tomorrow is her birthday. 
what do you think? Do you think we can maybe throw a little birthday party for her right here in this diner, in, in this cafe here? A smile crept over the man's face. Yeah, that's great, he says. Let's do it. He turns to the kitchen and shouts to his wife, hey, come out here. This guy's got a great idea. Tomorrow is Agnes's birthday and he wants to throw a birthday party for her right here. That's terrific, she says. You know, Agnes is really lovely. She's always trying to help other people. Nobody does anything nice for her, so that would be really, really great. So they make plans. Tony says he'll be back at 2.30 the next morning with some decorations. And a cake. At 2.30 the next morning, Tony's back. He's got crepe paper, other decorations, a big sign saying happy birthday. They decorate the place from one end to the other. It's looking great. Harry, the guy who works there behind the counter, has gotten word out to the street and lots of people have come in. 3.30 on the dot, the doors swing open and in walks Agnes and their friends. Tony has everybody ready. They all shout and scream, happy birthday! Agnes is absolutely flabbergasted. She's stunned. Her mouth falls open, her knees start to buckle. She almost falls over. And when the birthday cake comes with all the candles, she's at She just totally loses it. She's sobbing. She's crying. She blows out the candles and everybody cheers, yells, cut the cake, Agnes, cut the cake. She looks down at the cake and without taking her eyes off it, slowly and softly, she says, look, Harry, if it's all right, I mean, I mean, what I want to ask is, well, is it okay if I keep the cake for a little while? Is it all right if we don't eat it right away? Harry doesn't know what to say, so he just shrugs and says, yeah, sure, it's your cake, do what you want. You know, you can take it home if you want to. Oh, could I, she asks. And looking at Tony, she says, I, I just live down the street a couple of doors. I'm going to take the cake home. Is that okay? I'll be back, honest. She gets off her stool, picks up the cake, carries it high in front of her like it was the holy grail. Everybody watches in stunned silence when the door closes behind her. Nobody really knows what to do, so they look at each other and they look at Tony. So he gets up and he says, what do you say that we pray together? When he's finished, Harry, the guy who owns the diner, leans over and with a trace of hostility in his voice, he says, Hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to anyway? And Tony answers him quietly, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. Harry thinks for a moment and in a mocking way says, No, you don't. There ain't no church like that. Because if there was, I'd join it. Yep, I'd join a church like that. I think that's a lovely story. I could have picked lots of different ones about the inclusivity of that guy and what he did. But Harry couldn't quite get his head around that that was church. Not showing favouritism, not showing partiality, not showing judgment. So I said last week, James in his writing is influenced by the Sermon on the Mount. And you only have to look at that passage in Matthew 5. Um, in verse 46 it says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. It's easy to love those that we love. It's easy to be kind to those we like. Jesus continued to preach the message of no partiality. And partiality was a major issue 
for James because God's righteousness was a major issue for James. God is righteous. He doesn't show favouritism to anyone. So that's the pattern that we are to follow. And James uses this particular scenario about the wealth and the riches compared to the poverty of the two men coming in um, because that was relevant then to the Christians at that moment. Because the absurd thing was the very people they were giving the choice seats to, the person that was the rich, wealthy man, that very person was the one in verses 6 and 7 that James says was oppressing them, was taking them to court. How strange that this group of Christians were giving the important places to the rich people, the people they were showing favouritism, were the very people that were oppressing them and taking them to court. How strange. Because it just shows this. It shows that partiality doesn't have anything to do with the person, the person's personality and the person's character. Partiality separates itself from that when we judge someone on the external of who they are. How odd that we would behave in such a way. How odd it is that we as human beings are partial because of the externals of people's lives. James goes on further. Favoritism or partiality contradicts not only God's choice, which we've just seen in verse 5, but it also contradicts God's law and God's mercy. Let's look at this third point. James tells us partiality is a contradiction of God's royal law. Verse 8, if you really fulfil the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing well. If you show partiality, you are committing sin. Wow. What's the royal law? Well, the royal law is obvious. It's found in Mark, it's found in other places, but Mark chapter 12 tells us that when they ask Jesus about what's the most important thing, what does he say? The most important thing is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's echoed from Deuteronomy 6. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul all your mind and all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Wow, okay, that's the royal law. That we love God with everything, all that we are, and we love our neighbour, we love other people as well. And the Jewish Christians would, of course, have been familiar with this. Verse 9 says, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. You see, showing favoritism, partiality, is a sin. It can't, we can't be excused from it. If we break that, then we break the whole thing. If we break that one part of the royal law but we're keeping all the rest. It doesn't matter. You know, I don't know if you're like me, sometimes you think you've got a little tick list of the rights and wrongs of life. But I'm keeping all these, so that's okay. Oh, well, it says here in James that actually, no, that isn't all right. Because if we're breaking one, well, we're guilty of it all. It's like a robber saying, well, I'm a really good wife and I'm a really good mother and I've never committed adultery. Well, great, but... 
she's still a robber, she's still a lawbreaker, she's still broken the law on one thing. You see, the church can be so quick to show favouritism and partiality by marginalising people. When James tells us, you know what? If you fail at this, you failed at all of it. You failed at all of it. If you're going to marginalise anybody, if you're going to judge anybody by an external, if you're going to show partiality, then don't you think you're doing a great job because you're fulfilling all everything else. You've broken it. You've marginalised that people group. You've marginalised that minority in society. James's words are pretty strong here. We're told that not loving your neighbour as yourself is as much of a sin as anything. Actually, it could be even thought more so. It's breaking God's law. It's not a warning here about not murdering or stealing or committing adultery. It's a commandment about not, you know, not loving others as yourself. And of course, that is what lies at the heart of all those other things I've just talked about not loving others, that's the problem. But just think about that for a moment. See, what really matters is that we love others. And love, as Timothy Keller states, is never primarily defined in the Bible as a feeling. We get confused with that sometimes. It's never primarily defined as a feeling. At its foundation, love is at least a commitment and a promise. So you may not feel love for everyone, but love's much bigger than that. It's not a feeling. But not loving others as yourself, as ourselves, is a breaking of God's law. Now, I'm not saying that to make us feel guilty, okay? I'm saying it so we can grab hold of the enormity of what really matters to God, of how we really display our love to others, if we really display loving other people as we love ourselves. We don't need to feel guilty because James obviously continues to tell us how, as the Message Bible puts it, God operates with everyone. And God operates like this. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's how a God operates. So we don't get judged as we deserve when we break the law, because we all do it, because it was said, even if we just break one thing, then we're guilty. But the great thing is, is that although we do, we live under a law of liberty, which is found in verse 12. So God's mercy to us flows free, all because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. God acts in mercy towards us. So that's brilliant news, isn't it? So that when we do stuff wrong and we mess up and we are partial to, or we do show favoritism, God loves us, he shows mercy to us, he forgives us. Great, but we are to do the same. God acts in mercy and he calls us to act in mercy because mercy triumphs over judgment. When we truly grasp that we are under the law of liberty, we are to speak and act under that same law, James tells us. When we grasp that we're living in the law, under the law of liberty, we live in freedom with God. We live in grace. We live in mercy. We need to grab a hold of that, but then we need to extend that to others. Jesus came to show mercy. We demonstrate Jesus when we show mercy. This is why those who don't show mercy won't receive it, it says in verse 13, because their lack of mercy shows perhaps they've never really grasped the gospel the gospel of mercy. You know, sometimes when I look at what's happening around the world, 
And you might feel the same. When I see the church, the church worldwide, acting in ways of clear partiality, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart to see people getting an idea of church because of the way we as humans, as church, are acting, showing partiality. You can find story after story of people who have been excluded from church congregations. Not because they've done something and, you know, you might understand why someone might get excluded from a congregation for whatever reason. No, these are people who've just been excluded because of partiality, because of externals of their life. How can that even be possible? Stories on social media where church members, church leaders, say such unmerciful, ungracious things towards other fellow human beings. And that is the idea they get of church. And it makes me think, are they reading about the same Jesus that I read about? Have they encountered the same Jesus that I've encountered? Because the Jesus I read about in my Bible and the Jesus I've encountered was one of pure grace and one of pure mercy. And I know it to be true because of my own life. Not showing favouritism based on externals. The way we reveal mercy to others will indicate whether we truly know this Jesus. So James is saying to us, being partial, showing favouritism, we're not just breaking God's law, but actually we might have just misunderstood God's gospel completely. Wow. Let us think for a moment. I'm going to invite the worship group to come back. And um, we'll end with a song in a moment. But I want us to think about this. I wonder what we're in danger of. What favouritism, what partiality in our own lives have we got as an issue? Think for a moment. We don't often think about that. But we've all got something. There's something. There's something that we would struggle with. If somebody walked into our church congregation today and they had some sort of external, some of us would struggle with some things. What is it? What would we struggle with? And how is the gospel message of mercy and not being partial and not being showing favouritism, how is that going to challenge our attitude and change our thinking? Do we need to change? Maybe we do. Maybe we need to change about the way we think or about the way we act. There could be a certain person you've got in mind. Or it could be a people group, or it could be whatever. And my prayer today is that we will be so in awe of God, so captivated by our Lord, and so grateful for the mercy that we have received in our own lives, that we will truly love our neighbours, that we will truly love other people that we will become truly compassionate and treat people with mercy. Let's stand together. Let's stand. Father God, I thank you for your word to us, Lord. I thank you for this book of James that we are looking at at the moment. And I thank you for the passage that he wrote about partiality. And Lord, if 
difficult for us sometimes to reflect and think on our own lives and the difficulties that we struggle with. We have our own prejudice. We have our own bias. There are things in our life that we would struggle with if we were to meet certain people, perhaps. God, I pray today that we might be able to be honest enough about that and come to you and ask you to do something in our life that would change that. Lord, there is nobody that is excluded from your kingdom. There is nobody that you will show um, partiality towards because you have embraced all people. Everybody. And God, we might struggle because we're only human, but Lord, I pray that you would help us. Help us to show grace and mercy. Help us to understand your gospel, the way that you have shown your mercy towards us. I pray, God, that we would be a living example of that mercy to others, that we would watch what we say, we would watch how we think, we would watch how we act, Lord, and we would not think that we are above anybody. And we would not judge anybody in that way or think ourselves better. Lord, we might not understand everything. We might not know everything. But that doesn't mean we can't love in the way that you love. We might have disagreements with people. We might have all sorts of different things. But it doesn't mean we can't extend mercy and love like you have. Because love is not a feeling. But it's a decision that we make to do. Because we have been so loved by you. Because we are so indebted to you. Because I wouldn't be anywhere if it wasn't for you. Only by your grace, only by your forgiveness, only by your love and your mercy do I stand here today. So God, I pray that you would inspire me to love and show mercy in the same way. God, forgive us when we have shown favoritism. Forgive us when we make snap judgments, snap assessments. Forgive us when it leads to discrimination or prejudice or whatever it is. And Lord, today we come and say, Lord, would you change us? Because we want our lives to be all-embracing. And we want this church to be all-embracing. We don't want people to be excluded. So let us extend your grace. listening to this free download from Delancey Elam Church. For more downloads or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk.